0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you wouldn't mind turning your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and put your seatbelt on. Because this is probably one of the most controversial passages. It's definitely probably the most controversial passage in all of 1 Timothy. And in the context of our culture today, it's probably the most one of the most controversial passages in the Bible as it relates to uh, um, cultural issues. Um, I want to say a few things before we dive into the text here. Um, I believe, and I've said this before, I believe in preaching through biblical books. That's what we're doing here. Started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going on through all the way to the end of the book. There's a couple of things that does. One is it helps us see the whole picture of what the book is all about and not just diving in here and spot-checking there, and and but when we see how it all fits together. Two, um, it means that I don't just focus on my favorite passages. We cover it all. And when we get to a passage that is not something I would normally preach on, we deal with it because it's the next text in line. We just... We start in the beginning, and we work all the way through. Three, I think it's a protection for the preacher. How often has it been whenever a preacher preaches a message and the person, may, for good or for ill, may say, Preacher, you were talking right to me. Right? Sometimes it's good. Like, man, that really touched me. I knew you were just speaking right to me, but no. But sometimes it's not for good. Sometimes... You might get angry because you think the preacher's just picking right on you. <laughs> when you're going through the book, one verse at a time, all the way through, you're free from any accusation there. Not just picking on anybody, not just picking on any particular topic. No, we're dealing with this because it's the next verse. So, for those reasons and some more, that's why I preach the way I do. This is a passage that would be easy to skip over. This one is, is a passage that would be easy if I just preached on whatever I felt like it from week to week. we would probably never come. But in the way we're going about this, it has to be dealt with. We're going from verse to verse to verse. What are we talking about here? I've, I've, been, I've been loading up the expectation here. This is controversial. What, what, are, what are you talking about, Jared? What are you talking about, preacher? And Amy's looking at me like, yeah, get to the point. <laughs> talking about women in the church. That's controversial, isn't it? We're talking about gender roles. It's controversial in our culture today. So let's go ahead and dive into our text, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2, 1 Timothy. I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable, respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, with, not with braided hair, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we accept that this is all Your Word. And if it is your word, we have a duty to understand and obey it. Lord, help us tonight. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Help us to understand what your word says. Give us all submissive hearts not to buck against Your Word, but to embrace it, knowing that Your Word is best for us. Lord, we love You. Give me strength and wisdom and grace as I preach Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've read the text, and you can probably tell it's a doozy, isn't it? There's basically three ways of approaching this text. You have the liberal unbelieving scholar who comes to a text like this and says, "This is what Paul said, but Paul was wrong and we don't need to worry about it." Obviously, we can't take that. We're we're, we're this is a church. We believe that the Bible is God's word and we that's just not acceptable to do. The second, Thing would be to say, well, Paul must have been addressing something specific in that context, but it's no longer true in our context, so we don't really, hate, that doesn't even apply to us today. Some have gone that route, but I don't think that's the truth either. What we're going to do is we're going to approach this. Uh, yes, there are some things that need explanation. There are some things that that do need some cultural context to be explained, but at the same time, I don't think we can then just say, well, it doesn't apply today. No, this is God's Word. And God's Word, all of it, is useful for correcting and teaching that the man of God may be Thoroughly equipped. So let's take a look. Verse 8, he says, he first addresses men. That'll be the easy part. (laughs) He first addresses men. He says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Just one verse there. Here, Paul picks up on what he'd already been saying in the last verses. In the last verses, Paul had said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He's talking about prayer there. He's talking about praying for all people and for kings and for those who are in authority. And and so he's talking about prayer, and then he kind of takes a side road because he talks about the reason why we should pray, and it's because God is the true God of all people, and He's the only one that can save. And if people are going to be saved, then we need to pray, right? And here, he picks up, he goes back to where he started, and he talks about prayer. And in this passage, I believe what he's talking about is prayer and worship. How we are to... to. Uh, Approach God in worship together as a body. He says, I desire then that in every place, that's I think every church, not just the Ephesian church where Timothy was pastoring, but in every church that he would go and visit or that he had planted or that he wrote to, and even us, in every church, in every place, men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger. Or quarreling. This should be a part of what characterizes when we meet together to worship, that we pray. Pretty simple. That, that in every church, you know, and sometimes this may be, uh, when we think about this, it, it may kind of go against some of what we see elsewhere. Jesus said, Not to pray like the hypocrites, right? Who wanted to be seen before men. And so if Jesus taught we're not to pray out in the open to be seen before men, then why do we pray publicly? Paul here, I think, is giving us instructions that prayer should be a part of when we come together to worship. That we should pray, not just in particular churches, but every church. We should pray. He addresses specifically men. Maybe it's because maybe it's because men may have struggled more in that area. Struggled to pray and specifically to pray without anger. Um, There are things in the Scripture that talk about prayers that are unacceptable to God. When we... Pray with wrong motives, James tells us. Ask to be spent upon ourselves. Um, and, and Isaiah talks about how uh, when people prayed, uh, but their hearts were not with Him. You know, They, they were praying, uh, but God didn't even see them because they were wicked in the things that they did. They were hypocritical in the things that we, they did. Here, Paul is warning us that when we pray, we should not harbor... Anger or quarreling within us. But how it is that we are sometimes so prone to quarrel. Aren't we? Media. Watching the media, seeing what's going on in the world. We want to quarrel. We talk about theology, and sometimes men... Some, especially guys who've been to seminary like me, (laughs) can be the worst at quarreling over theology. Paul warns us that quarreling and anger and those things they hamper our prayer. No, Paul desires that we come to him as we worship together, lift up holy hands in prayer. Whenever it says lift up holy hands. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter what posture we're in. I don't think the posture that Paul was talking about was necessarily the the point. Uh, But that was a common posture that people would use to pray. And, And men would lift up their hands signifying trust in God. Trust that He's big enough. Reaching out to Him. That seems... Pretty simple there. But then he turns to women. Verse 9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, nor gold, nor pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Oh, Paul getting me in trouble again <laughs> I think the point here the point here is very similar to what we see in 1 Peter when Peter says that a woman should adorn herself not very very similar language 1 Peter chapter 3 Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The point that I think Paul is making is not women can't braid their hair, women can't uh, wear gold jewelry, women can't wear pearls. That's not the point that he's making. Instead, he's contrasting it. Don't make your primary concern the externals. Don't make your primary concern how good you look. Instead, make your primary concern, what he ends with here, with good works. And there at the end of verse 10. Uh, he, he, it does give us some Principles. He says, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel apparel, with modesty and self-control. I think the emphasis there is not on, um, um, he's not trying to get um, specific there. He's not saying anything about how long a skirt can be or can a woman wear blue jeans or anything like that. That's not what he's getting to what he's getting to is dress modestly. Um, And and by that modestly, I I think it's what is appropriate for worship. Don't let um, the way we dress be something that uh, detracts from our time together at worship. You can tell... This is difficult for me to go over because I, I mean I've seen in on social media recently posts going around about how men preachers shouldn't even talk about modesty, and and one that was an apology for uh, from a youth pastor talking about how he apologized for how he had uh, had uh, encouraged the girls in his youth group to dress modestly. So it is a, it is a real live issue that's that's a, that's kind of a hot issue right now. In the culture that we live in, um, it could be tempting to just say, oh, it doesn't matter how we dress. Let's just be comfortable and it doesn't matter. But Paul here is telling Timothy, There is some concern. Dress appropriately for worship. He doesn't give us specifics. He doesn't give us, uh, you know, it, it can vary from culture to culture. But there should be a concern that what we do is appropriate for when we come to worship. Now we get to the really hard part. I'm going to keep saying it every time we advance another verse. This, this is a very hard text. Now in verse 11, he says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Oh, it just sounds bad to us as soon as we read it, doesn't it? It just sounds, sounds bad. It sounds like, and I don't think this is what it's saying, is women should just be quiet and not say anything. That's not what it's saying, though. Okay? Okay? I, let's let's read it again and take careful attention. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I think um, this is one of those places where a little bit of cultural understanding is good. In the Jewish synagogue system, it was the men that got together to learn and the women they, they were not the ones who were going and learning the Torah and learning all those things. It was it was the men that got together to do that. But here, Paul is telling Timothy, let a woman learn. That, that would have been foreign to their idea. Who would who would want to give time for a woman to learn? It might have been the, the culture's um, perspective at the time. But here, Paul says, let a woman learn. That's that is actually a good thing. That's a positive thing um, that they should be participants within the life of the congregation and being instructed just like everybody else in the congregation. Let a woman learn. As he says there, with all submissiveness, we don't like that word either, do we? We don't like that word either because submissiveness gives us the idea of, of some kind of a domination over it, but I don't think that's what Paul is getting at at all. When he says, with all submissiveness, when we come to listen to the preacher, when we come to meet together, to worship together, and to hear the preaching of the Word, who does this not apply to? Are men allowed to... Stand up in the service and say, no, preacher, you're wrong. (laughs) No, this applies to everybody, not just women. So also, I think. um, Well, we'll just move on from there. So let a woman learn. Women should be included within the discipleship ministry of the church. um, and, And just men and women both together, we each. Uh, submit not to the preacher up there, we submit to the Word of God. Not because it's the preacher's opinion, but we submit to this book because it's what God says. We all submit to that. Next. And this is another controversial one. It's going to be a doozy tonight. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man rather that she is to remain quiet. This is difficult. There are those who look at this and say there must have been something going on in that church. There must have been some kind of some women within that church that specific church at that time that must have been false teaching or maybe interrupting the preacher or something like that. And, and uh, Paul must have been saying, no, don't do that. But if that's the case, like I said, I I think that that means that what is given here really doesn't apply to us. And I think all of God's word applies to us. We're not given any, that's just a historical reconstruction uh, uh, that, that, it's just a guess. We don't have any, any real reason to suspect that there was something going on differently in the Ephesian church that Timothy was pastoring than there were in other churches. Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. First of all, let's look at that first part. To teach or exercise authority. Those are the two, three, two things that are forbidden here. Next week, we're going to look at the qualifications for pastors and deacons. You see that in chapter 3. And if you look at the qualifications for pastors and deacons, one thing you see in the qualification for pastors is it says that a pastor must be able to teach. But it doesn't say that about deacons. Another thing that it says about pastors... Is it, it uses this line: "For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church?" Exercising authority under deacons, it does say managing their children uh, and households well, but it doesn't spell that out in the same way that um, um, that the pastor's passage. Does. I think that the distinction there between pastors and deacons that we'll see next week is that the pastors are the ones who teach and exercise authority in the church. And so I would say that what Paul is getting at here in uh, 1 Timothy 2, the passage we're looking at tonight, is that he, he doesn't permit a woman to hold the office of pastor just so that I don't sound strange there, um, that's what Southern Baptists agree on in our Baptist faith and message. The Baptist faith and message uh, is our statement of faith for this church. It's what churches that cooperate in the Southern Baptist Convention hold to. And uh, our statement of faith says that we believe that the office of pastor is limited to men who are qualified by Scripture. Um, So, I'm not out on a ledge by myself here. This is is what Southern Baptist churches teach and believe. Um, With that in mind, one of the things I read here as I I studied this text, as I tried to read and tried to determine how to to communicate this, um, one of the people I read said that it's, it's... Paul did not want the woman to be burdened with the, um, the duties of pastoral responsibilities, like the man. Uh, that that, that uh, it's actually supposed to preserve a woman's ability to be able to spend her time during the worship focusing on learning and not uh, have the burden of being the one who has to do the teaching, but to to actually prize them. Um, And in verse, um, later on in that verse, it says, to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Uh, uh, This is just full of landmines, isn't it? Full of landmines. It says quiet here. It does not say silent. And the word quiet doesn't necessarily mean not talking. Uh, In the first Peter passage that I referenced a little while ago, it said uh, that the beauty that should characterize a Christian woman is um, the hidden person of the heart of a gentle and quiet spirit. It's not talking about not talking. It's, It's talking about... Peaceful. It's talking about uh, that the woman should be allowed to come and learn, uh, not having the responsibilities of doing the teaching and exercising authority within the church, but to be able to learn in peace and undisturbed. Which is very difficult for a mother with small children, isn't it? <laughs> but that, I think, is the, the sense that he's getting to. Now, Another thing here, uh, it, it, I, as I mentioned here, it, it, sometimes people have looked at the text like this and said, well, there's something that must have been going on in that church, right? Something that must have been going on in that church. I think verse 13 helps us rule that out. For is the next word in verse 13. For. When Paul is saying for here, he is saying, this is the reason, okay? For. Adam was formed first, then Eve. If you want to know why Paul was saying what he said, then listen to his explanation of why he said what he said. He's saying the reason why I'm saying this is Adam was formed first, then Eve. This is at, Paul was basing this teaching in the creation order. Does it make sense? He's pointing to creation from Genesis chapter 2 when the, the man and the woman were created and he's saying this is something that was God's design from the very beginning in the garden. That's what he's saying here. It's not because something's going on in that church. It's because, as Paul says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then he follows that up, verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Landmine after landmine after landmine in this text, isn't there? Something we need to think about here. Elsewhere, Paul places the emphasis, the the responsibility for disobeying God on Adam. Right? Through Adam, sin came into the world. And because of his sin, all die. Right? It's Adam that bears that responsibility. But here, in this argument about why a a woman should not bear the responsibility of being a pastor, he says, the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, the first thing he said was it was from the creation order that that there was a a, a relationship there in the creation order um, that... Adam was formed first, and then Eve. That was the reason why um, males, men are to hold the responsibility of the pastoral leadership role. In in, uh, the next part here, let's think back to that creation narrative in the first few chapters of Genesis. In those first few chapters of Genesis, God commands Adam... He's supposed to be to rule like a king there in the garden. And he had the responsibility to care for his wife. And, and he had the responsibility to protect her. And he didn't do it. And, that, and, and look at where, where it got us. Because Adam didn't stand there and be the leader that he should have been, Eve was deceived. And it was Adam's fault. Because he didn't stand there as the leader that he should have been. And here, I think that makes sense of this. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Adam was deceived too. But Adam wasn't the first one to be deceived. Verse 15. It doesn't get any better <laughs> as far as how difficult this is to go through. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. A couple of things here. I don't believe this means that Paul is saying a woman's place is just to be pregnant all the time. That's not what he's saying. Uh, Whenever he says, yet she shall be saved through childbearing. Rather... Uh, I think what Paul may have been getting at is what is the distinguishing characteristics that's different between men and women? Men can't have babies. Contrary to what we see in the news today and what our culture is trying to say, that's the main, biggest difference between men and women. And I I think uh, uh, that Paul may have been getting at that and, and saying... Um, a woman uh, it should embrace her um, creation ordered role in the creation order. Um, another thing to say about that passage: um, I think it also may be a reference to Genesis three sixteen. Now, I've talked a lot about Genesis 3.15 in the past. That is the promise that one day there would be a seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head. So right there, you can kind of see, okay, maybe this is talking about the fact that Eve would be saved through childbearing because the Messiah was going to come through her line. Okay? But also, what was supposed to happen whenever Eve died? Or whenever Eve ate of the fruit? She was supposed to die. It said, "In the day that you eat it, you shall die." But God was gracious, and in that, that curse language in Genesis 3:16, it says that uh, her childbearing would be, uh, her, there would be greatly increased pains in childbearing. So there may have been a reference to that passage here in this verse as well. OK. I've explained the text. I haven't answered all the questions. I haven't... I, we. It's already 7 o'clock, <laughs> and I don't plan on coming back to it next week. Um, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. I've raised an issue that maybe um, just ought to provoke us to do more study. But I want to step back with a few things to say as I close in the creation order what we see with Adam and Eve is man and woman were created equally in value equally in dignity but what I see here is that there were specific roles that men and women are to play in the created order specific roles That idea is detestable in our society today. From uh, feminism of the 1960s all the way to today where people in the media are now saying a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. It's come to a point where it is extremely absurd. And I think... um, what, what embracing this text means is that we embrace that God has designed roles. Though men and women are equal in their value before God, equal as co-heirs of the grace that we will receive whenever He comes again, we have different roles that we play that are a part of God's design in the creation and in the church. That's basically the summary of what I'm trying to get across. And if everything else has been a muddled mess, I hope that's clear. Men and women are created equally in value, but with different roles when it comes to um, our created design and within the church. Listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at redeemerbaptistpanama.com, or you can like us on Facebook.